and welcome to the next session, second session of the morning. Well, our next speaker has already been semi-introduced to us as the man with the big calves. The man that, that fills a shirt and who builds his children their own playhouses. So, um, before I invite Pastor Ross to come, um, you know, I first met him as a student at Stellenbosch, I saw what God did in his life as he, in those years, led the, the student prayer army. Then he and his wife moved to Pretoria, Magrit, who's a medical doctor. He was in the Air Force at the time, and whilst working, started to plant the Pretoria church, and I had the, uh, the blessing to sometimes go there and visit, and it was always my highlight in terms of visiting other churches, because Ross and his team were always incredibly friendly, really welcoming um, church, and, and, and sort of it's the place to go to if you just want to meet some really nice people. And uh, after that, you know, they went to, to um, Tigerberg and helped to pastor the church there on to Durbanville and sort of have now been in three different places, and he's one of our regional leaders and oversees a number of churches. And you know, the Bible speaks of you can know a tree by its fruits. And when I look at Pastor Ross's churches, the places he's been to and the churches in his region, then I can see that when we, we talk about compassion, we talk about love in action, then I can see that manifesting, um, you know, as they, they've started some wonderful initiatives in, under his ministry and under his leadership. We have the, the urban church in, in, in Belleville. And, and lots of other community projects. And so if you mention some of these things today, you can know that it's real, it's working, and it's already in practice. It's not something that needs to be done sometime in the future. It's already there. And um, Ross said, I must also say that he loves reading. You know, <laughs> it's not all about the muscles. It's about reading. And so he's read so much, they actually gave him a master's degree in theology. <laughs> And uh, so, put your hands together as we welcome Pastor Ross. Thank you, Anton. Um, it's really a, a great honor for me to, 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 every year to come to Convergence, every year to, to sit and to see old faces, old friends, brothers that... Uh, shaped you, like really shaped you, as a, the Bible says that friends shape the character of another, shape the face of another, and I can really see that through the years, then how we have been shaped, and I want to say it's really a big honor for me to be here. If you don't mind, I'd just like us to, to just close our eyes, and I'd like you just to, we're not going to have a worship band up here, but if we can just close your eyes and sing the very, very well-known song, There Is None Like You. Can we do that? There is none like you, no one else can touch my heart like you do, and I can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you, there is none. Yes, there is none like you, and no one else can touch my heart like you do, and I can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. I can search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none like you. It's Jesus, we thank you that you are the center of this conference, Lord, that you are the center of our friendships, God, and our families, God, that you are the center, Lord, of, of the church, of this church movement. And just like Heinrich said yesterday, God, we thank you for your grace, which we tangibly saw in us and among us this year, God. We thank you that you are central to everything that we are and to, central to everything we do. And Jesus, we thank you for the word that you gave to us, God, 
that you preserve this word, Lord, the Old Testament for thousands of generations, the New Testament for 2,000 years, God. And we are not the first community to open your word, God. We are not the first community, God, to be touched by your word, God. We are not the first community to hear your prompting, God, to return to our first love, Lord, to to return to our first priority, God, that we will be known by the love that we have for one another. We thank you, God, that you are at work in us. God, it brings us so much strength, God, and it brings us so much comfort, God, to know that we are not left by ourselves, Lord, but the spirit of life and the spirit of love, God, is working in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, I just hear Heinrich's uh, voice amening here the whole time. Heinrich and Nikki. Pastors, we thank you. It is really a tremendous honor to serve and to follow you as you follow Christ. You are really a great leadership couple, a man of humility. And, uh, and I know that as a, personal, as a person, as a family, your witness of Christ has been through very challenging times in your life. And it's really an honor to follow you as you are follow Christ. So can we just put our hands together for Heinrich and Felipe? Amen. In Durbanville, I'm going to jump right in. For the, past, oh, for the past few years, but especially in this year, God has really been speaking to us that what He desires from us, the Amos Scripture, what He desires from us is not just our worship, not just our adoration, not just a life of holiness, exactly like Dr. Cornet said yesterday, not just a life that, that speaks of uh, a, de a desire to purely follow God in terms of not sinning. You know, when I grew up, I thought... And I'm going to be honest, it's not as though it was said, but I thought that this is the goal of the Christian life, to not sin and to worship God. To not sin, to read the Bible and pray. I thought that was the goal of the Christian life, to, to live a devout, passionate, holy life with God. I thought that was the goal. And I want to say that it's absolutely true, but just like Corne Becker, Dr. Corne said yesterday, that is half the truth. What God desires from us and as you read through the Old Testament, is this, God says, take away from me your songs and the noise. I can't listen. And in some instances, translation, God says, I can't stand your, your assemblies. God says, I can't take it. If you read parallel passages or similar passages like Isaiah 58, you see that God says that you are a people that desire to know me. You're a people who, do, who desire to know my just judgment in difficult situations. You're a people that are passionate. In fact, in Isaiah 58, he's talking to people that are set aside days to fast. And they stand in the presence of God. And God says, take away from me the noise of your songs. Because if all you think I want is for you to stand and to sing and to not sin, God says, then you miss the mark. Because God says, I want you to know me and become like me. I want you to resemble me. What God says is, I want to see streams of justice. I want to see a river of righteous living emanate from this community. And you know what excites me? Is that that Vodacom ad, we've been having it. We've been seeing it. We've been seeing streams of grace. I mean, how many of our friends have adopted children in the last year? How many of us are involved in old age homes on hospital ministries? How many of us like Richard and like Tians are involved in, in prison ministry? In places where the love and the grace of God is not just contained and reserved for us on the inside, these holy people sheltered in the, under the wings of the Most High God, living this happy, holy life. But the love and the grace of God is emulating, is, is flowing from us in streams of grace. And we've been seeing it. I mean, just in conversations in the last while, we didn't have these conversations before. But to hear how many of our friends and how many of the, the people around us couldn't stand the fact that their domestic worker works in this house of theirs. You know, it doesn't matter how big the house is, but works in a house and serves patiently and lovingly, but then go home to live with her three kids without a husband in a shack somewhere. And you just couldn't stand, stand that anymore. They just can't live with that divide anymore. Like you, you tell your, 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 your Christian domestic worker, whether she's Christian or not, doesn't really matter either. But you tell her about the love of God and how God has been so good to you. And they see how God has been so good to you when you go away for three weeks on the holiday or when you get a new car or when you get a raise 
or when they can see new furniture in your house being bought the whole time. And it must have been difficult for a long time to see about the love of God. And you talk about the love of God, but their question is, you know, where is the love? Where is this love? Is God only good to some of his children? Is the grace of God, or do we serve a father who reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous, who makes a sunrise on the just and the unjust? Because that's the father that we know when we sin, but that's also the father that we represent to the world. God says, this is my desire. I want to see streams of justice. I want to see a river of righteous living emulating from you. I want to see this this life and love flowing in the streets. And this is the God that we serve. And like I'm saying, I'm so amazed (laughs) at how many of the people that I talk to have heard the Lord saying this to them. To turn away from just thinking that the goal of the right of the Christian life is for me to be promoted. I'm going to quote Dr. Becker because he always says he meets so many people that when they're young, their desire is to be famous and to be rich and to be really, really beautiful. But when they become Christians, their desire is to be famous for Jesus, to be rich for Jesus and to be beautiful for Jesus. And that is not the Christ whom we serve. That is not the God whom we serve. God says, I want to see streams of justice. I want to see a river. So as a congregation, it's so nice. And as a pastor, it's such a privilege to see this and to hear the stories of all these people, to hear what God is doing among us, what God has been stirring in our hearts, and to see these rivers of grace flowing out. I want us to stop for a second and maybe just look at, I'm going to honor a few people later, but I'd just like us to look at a story. You know, we have an urban church, a church for the homeless people in Belleville. And um, I heard Philip's voice. So people like Conrad and Cornelfoort and Philip and Susel, people like Dievold who never ever love to come on the stage. Dievold is one of those people that streams of justice is just gushing out from him. Goodness is, but he doesn't, he doesn't like the platform. He doesn't like the platform. And it's amazing to know those people. What the Lord said to us a few years ago, 2009, we are bunch of professionals and young working people in our church, young families. And God said to us prophetically saying, speaking from Galatians, saying, consider the poor. And we look around you and are like, I don't really know poor people. I don't really know. It's one of the greatest accusations in the church in the West. It's not that we don't love the poor. We don't even know the poor. Do you only have rich friends, up and coming guys, like Jesus said? You have a feast for all your friends that are rich and they can return the favor? Or do we have friends that can never repay what we do for them? And it's friends. It's not as though you're a charity case. It's a friend. You're my friend. Because maybe the, most, the greatest wealth in the world is not monetary, but maybe it's grace and love and devotion. Maybe that is the real wealth. So God said to us, consider the poor. So we started looking around and we were small and wise enough to not try to do our own thing. So we started looking at so many NGOs in the area doing amazing work, and we found MESS, Molden Power Serve, the old Middestad Evangelisasi sending mission of the, of the Dutch Reformed Church, and they have a great community in our area. And we started working with them on Sundays. Uh, one or two of our small groups on a rotation basis would skip the morning service and just go and um, minister to these people at the Belleville station. Just love them, minister to them, find them there, they're homeless people. So we go to their home in the Belleville station and we spend time with them there ministering. It's uh, sometimes a bit awkward and then we hand out food and dish out food with them and just love, touch them, care for them. Once or twice we had special services where we just, the nail, gold ladies' nails are being made. It just let us show love and show compassion. After three and a half years, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to us for a while and we, we thought like, wow, this is not really doing it. I mean, is, is the goal of the Christian life to hand out a sandwich or a hot dog or a soup or a meal every Sunday and then step away? You know, what would we do with someone who is destitute, hopeless, someone who's an addict perhaps, someone who is just broken because of things happening in their life in our own community? Would we see them once a week take a meal and say, Jesus loves you, see you on the other side? No, we won't. So we started praying, and it was a time of serious fasting and prayer. 
And the elders just heard the Lord say, no. And this is the word that the Lord said to us. I want you to take a stand and plant a church to stand between the living and the dead. I want you to enter in and to start a community, to start a church. And that's where the urban church was birthed from. And um, I would like you to show, just show you one short video clip just to give you a feel. And you know friends like these. Sometimes in my circumstances, before I came to the church, I cried out to the Lord. I, I mean, totally cried out, really, really cried out. I'll never forget it. I was on my way to my brother's house here in Bell, not far from here. I walk on a Thursday pass here. And uh, the one was standing at the gate and he's like, don't you wanna come join us, baby? We're busy uh, doing Bible study. And I'm like, yeah. Straight to the point, yeah. Uh, uh, I got in here, the moment I stepped inside this building, I could feel the warmth and the love. It's like it was touchable. And yeah, I grow. Spiritually, I grow. I grow. And his calmness in me, his peace in me, real calmness. I'm like, wow, whatever you are busy for, Please continue with it. I like it. I like it. I like it. I keep coming, coming, coming. Where it's raining or snowing on a Thursday or a Sunday, I walk. I walk. It's not for uh, a person I'm walking. I'm, I'm doing this. It's not for a person. It's for God. He has protected me. He still does. He loves me. Sometimes I, I, I just go crazy giving him praise. Just because, just because, just because he deserves it. Whatever God puts on my part, I overcome it because he's with me. Wayne can't do it. Wayne can't. But with you, I will. The before Wayne was a very negative attacking person. I used to call it, it's my way or the highway. Yeah, that's what really, that's what me. And now, I always need his mercy and grace. I need it, I can't go without it. I'm nothing without his mercy and grace. You have to open your heart to God. Okay. I opened my heart to him. My brother, it was him. It was me. And I came and opened. It's hard, but it's possible. It's hard. And now, here I am. I will praise this God from here to I don't know when, but I will praise Him. Nothing else. Nothing else. If you were to ask Wayne, where's the love? He would say, right there in that small building in that community. That's where he found love. I don't know if you heard what he said. That's where he found his father. That's where he found a community, a place of belonging. It's just people that love him. It's people that, that, that lavish on him. It's people that care for him. Wayne said, I will praise this God as long as I live. I don't know until when. And we know until when. Because on the 30th of June this year, 18 months, 17 months after Philip had this interview and recorded this interview with him, Wayne passed away. Wayne is more alive today than he ever was. Wayne is with Jesus, with his father, in a real community in heaven. And um, we miss him because he's a lacquer. <laughs> because he's so funny and so lively and, and so full of energy and thankfulness. He was an optimistic, thankful, joyful person. He really found a community that love. It's precious to me where Wayne passed away. Wayne passed away among friends in a safe space with mess we erected for the homeless people on a bed, in a place where he had a warm shower and a meal in a community that he was loved. Before the ambulance came, he passed away and he went to be with his father. He exchanged this present world for something much more glorious, to be with the loving father. And it's so precious to me. And the word that made us start that thing, I'm gonna share with you this morning, that community is the gap between the living and the dead. In Numbers chapter 16, 
Moses' account of the story. Numbers chapter 16, we find Numbers chapter 16 comes after Numbers, Numbers chapter 12, 13, and 14. And what happens before that is necessary. The Israelites sent out spies, 12 spies. We know the historic account. They just went through an incredible time. Imagine the three months living up to that moment. Imagine that. I mean, they saw plagues. They were in Goshen, they were Goshen. They were in the land, and they looked out, and they saw the, the hail stones coming down. They saw the Nile River turning into blood. They saw mosquitoes. They saw grasshoppers. They saw plagues. They heard the cries. It, wasn't, it must have been an incredible three months leading up to the exodus and to the arrival on the border of the promised land. It must have been incredible. They saw the power of God as they exited the Red Sea jumped out of the way, and they passed through, like Psalm 114 says. They came to Mount Horeb. They saw the cloud of the presence of God. There was volcanic eruptions and earthquakes. The hills jumped out of the way, the Bible records. They made a covenant moment with God, and they walked every single day. Manna fell from the sky, and water erupted from dry ground. Must have been an incredible account. They came to the border of Canaan, the promised land, sent out spies, the spies returned, they says they are big people. Joshua and Caleb says they're really, really big, but our God, we can do this. This is a great land. Let's do this. Let's do this. Every pastor likes people like that in their church. <laughs> there were other people in that church as well. <laughs> they said, no, this is impossible. No, we can't do this. No, this, we, we can't do this. Really not possible. And because of that, God's anger arose. God said, I'm going to squash them all. And I'm going to restart with a family, starting with your family, Moses, Aaron, can we restart? And he said, no, please don't, God. Please don't. And then God says, okay, but one thing is necessary. If you're going to enter, you're going to enter in faith. So this generation is going to wander through the wilderness until everyone passes, passes away. Everyone. To which obviously the people said, no, no, bad idea. Can we have the first option again? But God says, no, that offer expired just now. And it's amazing that number 16 starts with that account, picking up from there, where, where one of the cousins of, um, of, one of, the cousins of Moses, um, Korah, he and his family and 250 of the Levites and some of the Danonites, some of the great warrior tribe people, they said, let's enter into the promised land. And Moses said, no, and said, listen, Moses, you're not the only one who hears from God. We're also Levites and we're also people of God. You're not the only one. We cut the story short, but eventually it turned out and God says, okay, so let's see who really is God's anointed priest, who may really lead. And it was up to Aaron and all these other 250 Levites who had their senses before the presence of God at the tent, bringing worship. And God indicated that Aaron was his man by consuming fire, consuming all these other guys. And you know the rest of the story? The Danonites who didn't even want to come to this contest, their tents, the Bible says, the earth opened up and their screams went down with their tents and their families and God closed it up. And this is where we pick up on the verse. This is where we pick up now. So it's like really clearly God is for Moses. God is for Aaron. That was the, the lesson, very clear lesson to the Israelites. Let's read, maybe if you don't mind, I'm going to just turn my back here and read with you. On the next day, after this very traumatic day, on the next day, all of the congregation of the um, children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And I'm thinking, my image here is of a little Jack Russell. How many of you know Jack Russell dogs? Very similarity to your sausage dogs. <laughs> but they don't give up. If a Jack Russell, you know, attacks a uh, they always attack Alsatians or big dogs, but they don't give up. They don't get the lesson that you are too small. So the next day, it's like that sin in the human heart just does not stop complaining against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses. So there was like a Moses must fall, Aaron must fall, <laughs> promised land, hashtag thing happening there. That they turned towards the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them once and for all in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and said, no, God. So Moses said to Aaron, take the censer and put fire in it. That censer, 
that yesterday you had in your hand when God indicated that you are the chosen priest of God. Take that in your hand. Take that in your hand. And put fire in it from the altar. And don't pray in the tabernacle. Put incense in it and take it quickly to the congregation. Make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. And all of a sudden, the plague started. And remember, the tent of meeting was away from the camp. It's a holy place. So they're looking over masses of people, millions of people. And they could see in one sense in my head, in my face, in my eyes, as though it started there on the right-hand side. And the plague started. And people were screaming and getting sick and dying, like quickly. Because by the time old Aaron ran there, the Bible says 147,000 people had already perished. And Aaron ran straight in them. He ran in there, between the living and the dead. And as he entered there and worshiped God there and interceded for the people there, between the living and the dead, that's where the plague ended. I love the story. I love the story. What's amazing for me is it's, it's Aaron. Who was the victim of this rebellion? Who did the people hate? Who did they gather against to say, out with you, out with the old, in with the new? Who did they? It was Aaron. He was the issue. Because he was the chosen one of God, and they didn't like that. They wanted someone else to intercede and someone else to lead. He was the one who everyone hated, and he was the one that ran in to these people that hated him, that wanted him out, that says that he's invalid and that he's crude, that brought false accusation against him. But he's the one who took the fire and he ran in, in their faces. This is personal. He didn't pray in the tent to say, oh God, please forgive them their sins. He ran in among the people who were dying of the plague and he prayed for them. And he says, God, have mercy on these people. I see the hatred in their eyes. I see the pain. You know, it wasn't a safety thing for him. Safety wasn't first for him. It was a safe space in that stage to be in the presence of God, <laughs> in the ark, separate from the plague, in the holy space of God. This was the safe place. This was his place. This was the place he was asked to worship God and to intercede. And he stood there. This was a safe space. This was a good space to be. He could have prayed there, but Moses knew better. Moses said, Aaron, take the fire and run there. Where people are dying because of the plague, Go and position yourself there. Just like a firefighter, firefighter, you know, it's fine. I was in the Air Force. Fire drops happened from the helicopters. Not really safe, but better than next to the trees burning. That's where you're necessary. The priest had to enter in there. The chosen priest had to enter in there and to plead for God there. And because he was there, the plague stopped there, he positioned himself in the line of fire. And he said, God, bring, bring your grace. Stop this, God. Stop this, Lord. Stop this angel of death. We saw this angel of death in Egypt, God, and it killed everyone. God, not here. Not your people. Remember your people, God. Remember your mercy. Be merciful. He pleaded with them there. It was a sa- no safety first. He had to position himself. This is the most, one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament, isn't it? Jesus, the high priest, the one, the Lord of all the earth, whom everyone rebelled against, everyone hated, everyone says, no, I don't want this Lord, I want to be my own Lord, can we make our own Lord, let's make a tower, let's make our own king, let's make our own kingdom. And yet the father said, son, they all will die, but you enter in. Stand between the living and the dead. See their pain. This is so beautiful for me. Aaron wasn't a distance praying. He looked at the plague consuming the flesh on the people's faces. He smelt it. He heard their cries. They probably grabbed onto him like people from a drowning man, just everyone grabbing on him, say, please, please save me. He was in their face. He touched them. They touched him. Very personal. And that's when the plague ended. He entered into the living and the dead which is what Jesus did. He came from heaven and he entered and he stood between the living and the dead. The amazing thing is that Aaron wasn't really, it's not as though, so nothing would have happened unless Aaron ran in between the living and the dead. Nothing would have happened, nothing. 
unless he had ran in, the plague would have had its course and God would have started over with Moses and Aaron. But because he jumped in, everything changed. But it's not Aaron that changed everything. It's the presence of God. The presence of God changed everything. The fact that he ran in to worship God right there with his incense. He ran in to worship God and to make atonement right there in the middle, that worship. And because he entered in there, because the presence of God entered, the life-giving spirit of God, the grace of God, it just ended the plague right there. Life changed everything. God changed everything. Isn't that what the church is? Isn't that why we're here? Just like Jesus, the Father said, go into all the world where sin happens, where death happens. I want you to enter yourself in because the plague has begun and it's evident everywhere. Maybe, maybe in here, we see a little bit less of the plague. We can see it every time a new guy comes in, the new sinner. <laughs> Churches, the people get saved a lot, it's really uncomfortable. They, you know, I sometimes wondered if God... <laughs> I mean, it would have been easier, pastor speaking, confession time, vulnerable time, but it would have been easier for Aaron to be a priest and serve God without the nation, wouldn't it? I sometimes say to my friends, church would be so much easier if it wasn't for all these people. <laughs> my sermon preparation, my prayer time, my ministry time, my personal life would have been so much easier. <laughs> but he understood that the only reason that I exist here on this earth and not in heaven with the Father is to mediate. That's why I'm here, is to mediate. I am the chosen priest of God. We are a chosen priesthood. What do priests do? They enter in between the living and the dead and mediate on behalf of God's. This is the picture. Aaron is such a beautiful picture of Jesus, but Aaron's act is such a beautiful picture of the church. Get away from the temple of meeting Get away, worship God, yes, worship God there. But there are times when you get away, when you enter in between the living and the dead, and because you are there with the presence of God, the plague ends. Because we are there with the presence of God, the plague ends. Because we're there. that's what ended the plague for Wayne. Because Diervold, who would never get on a stage like this, who doesn't like I don't even know if he's here. We invited him, but he does not like these big things. But he's a real Christian. He's saved and he's good. And because he stood outside, because that man who works for, net, works for a big financial firm, <laughs> he works for a big financial firm, but on the Thursday night and every single Sunday and every now and then whenever someone needs him, he goes into a Belleville where he does not stay because he does not need to stay there. He go inside there and he makes coffee and he holds their hands and he prays and whoever walks by says, don't you want to come in? And they go, yeah, <laughs> just like that, yeah. <laughs> and they come inside and they meet Christ because he enters himself in the living and the dead, because he responds to the grace of God, because he understands that I'm a priest. I'm a priest and the presence of God dwells with me. I'd like us to look at four things. What does it require of us? What does it require? And I'm going to do the last slide, only the last slide with the, I'm skipping some stuff, our time is up, starting with compassion. And this is all I want you to take home from this session, it's just to take your stand. What does it mean to love your community? It means simply take your stand, position yourself in the face of the living and the dead, to take a stand. And the first thing it requires from us is compassion. The life of Jesus, if you read compassion, most translations gets it very good. Every single time before Jesus does a miracle, whether it's blind Bartholomew cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone walks by. Jesus can't walk by because the Bible says he was moved with compassion. And he turned around and he says, what would you like me to do for you? Before he broke the bread and fed the masses, the Bible says Jesus looked at the crowds like this. And he saw that they were hungry. And he called his disciples, because Jesus moved with compassion, called his disciples and says, let's feed them. 
before he taught the crowds, before he sent out his disciples, the 72 disciples in Luke chapter 10, the Bible says Jesus looked at the crowd, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and the Bible says they were moved with compassion, and he sends them out. Even a non-Jew, a Gentile lady was crying because her, her son was being carried, the coffin of her son was being carried, and Jesus stopped everything, and the Bible says Jesus moved with compassion, that which was culturally absolutely abnormal, and he walked to her, and because of the compassion, he put her hands on her. Jesus raised the dead because of compassion. Jesus fed the multitudes because of compassion. It's the starting point. The Bible says, Colossians chapter 3, put on love, and love starts with, sevenfold love starts with compassion, a deep sense of identification with your pain and your discomfort, a deep sense. The Pharisees of the day missed it because they were self-righteous, and I'm like, I, I, my goal is to follow God, and I will only do what God, but Jesus stopped and his compassion was the way in which God spoke to him many times, if I understand the Bible correctly. The woman who came in, the sinner, the prostitute, who washed his feet with her tears, Mary. The Bible says, Simon says, how can you hang with these sinner people? And Jesus said, Simon, look at the woman. Look at the woman. Stop judging the prostitute. Look at the woman. Because if you look long enough, and you identify with her pain. Yes, she's in pain because of sin. Her sin, society's sin, everything. The plague has begun. But can you hear the cries? Yes, these people sinned against God. Yes, these people rebelled against me, Aaron. But can I hear their cries? Because if I listen, I start hearing what the Spirit is saying. I have compassion. That's what the Bible says. It starts with compassion. And it's true what Dr. Becker said yesterday. The compassion, the word that James speaks about, the one word that he summarizes the whole time is to love God and love your neighbor. That's the word that he speaks about in that context mostly. But it happens, we receive it and we meditate on it. And as we look at Jesus and his compassion, I tell you, we become like him. If we look at him, we become like him. If we see the life of Jesus and compassion. Secondly, I'm gonna rush, is the courage. It requires courage. It requires courage to stand in the face of all these people that don't like me. In the, and many times it's not the people, it's the, the, the mass, the bigness of the problem is the problem. <laughs> it's, it, it's, the, the, it's too big, it's too big, it's too big. But that's where we call courage moves over into confidence. Psalm 93, the waves, O oh Lord, the waves, the waters have lifted their voice, God. The waters have lifted their voice, it's gonna consume us. But mightier, than the raging of the waves, the Lord on high is mightier. It doesn't matter how big the crisis, doesn't matter how out of control the situation is. I take courage because God is bigger than this. And this is my confidence. But courage doesn't mean to not have fear. Courage means to step up and do what is right and what is necessary regardless. And this is what Aaron did so well. He runs in and he walks in there he can't change anything, but he has courage to run in among the pain and the stench of the dead because he knows his God. My God is bigger than everything else. Confidence, it requires confidence. I don't want to say two things about confidence because the first thing that it requires, what it required of Aaron, is first of all the confidence that God, and this is in my experience, the biggest reason why people don't engage in situations of death, life and death things like this illustration. You know, the homeless, the poverty, ECDs, it's things, sick people, is I don't think that I'm good enough or chosen enough for this thing. It's, it's a confidence, first of all, that starts with me. I don't think that maybe, maybe Pastor Andre, because if he lays, whenever he lays his hands on the sick, they recover. So that verse in Mark is for Andre, but not for Ross, because he's obviously the chosen one. But this is what I love about Aaron. Moses said to him, take that sensor you had in your hand yesterday. <laughs> yesterday? When you didn't die, but everyone else died who had that thing, take that thing. Because obviously, that's a reminder that God receives you. And then you take that thing. Remind yourself that I am God's chosen and anointed priest. I am a priest of the Most High God. And the Spirit of God does dwell within me. That's the first thing, I am chosen, I am loved by God. 
And I want to say that's what we're going to minister to people. Because if you have a desire in your heart, or there's a burden, or there's something that's screaming at you, and probably you're thinking about that right now. There's a situation that is freaking you out. It's too big for you. But you don't think you can do it because you don't think you can do it. I want to say two things. You are God's chosen priest. And then the second part, and, and the, the second part is you are God's <laughs> chosen priest. The confidence comes with God. Psalm 114, I've been meditating through the Psalms for a while, and yo, I love that Psalm. It's a Psalm that says, when Israel is written for people who forgot how big God is with them. He says, when Israel escaped from Egypt, it says, they walked up to the Red Sea, and then it asked this question, what ails you, Red Sea, that you jumped out of the way when the Israelites came? What ails you hills that you jumped like rams and like lambs when Israel came through? What ails you Jordan River that you turned upstream and flowed upstream in flood? What is wrong with you? And then the answer is this, tremble a whole earth at the presence of God, at the presence of God of the whole earth. Tremble at the presence of God. I have confidence that where I go, God goes. Wherever I go, God goes. The presence of God dwells in me. And we take it so lightly. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a temple of the God of the whole earth that trembles. The mountains shake everything. Because when I enter into the living and the dead, God enters with me. He's the Liverpool supporter that says you will never walk alone because God always walks with us. I'm never, ever alone whether you have calves or not. <laughs> Sorry. God walks with us. Can I just stop for a second? Do you know, have you ever thought about why Christianity exploded in the first century? I mean, there were like religions from all over the world and temples all over the, like literally every religion in the world, Rome conquered them and built a temple in their cities. And yet, a bunch of people without a temple, with no learning, with no priesthood, with no status in community, minority people walked in every single city of the world and turned it upside down so that Philip's favorite verse, I saw Philip earlier, Philip's favorite verse is, <laughs> and these people have turned Jerusalem upside down with their gospel. Literally every place there, and it, and it turned around the whole gospel. Do you know what, why? Because if you think about it, the Christian ethos, the Christian, what makes a good person, Christianity teaching, is not fundamentally so much different from the rest of the ethoses and philosophies in the world. It's not really that big difference. Be kind, be good, don't lie, don't cheat, pay your taxes, stuff with stuff. But the difference is this, and this is why this is so important for us today. Because all of a sudden, that which people desire, the community, the nirvana, the, the heaven, the community that people spoke about, the kingdom, the world that people desired, the, the goodness that people desired. And if you live long enough, you know that what I want to be that I can't really be unless it's for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What changes it all is the spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave all of a sudden now lives in me. It is possible. It is really, really possible. We have those pay stations that when you enter, if you leave uh, Century City and you put your ticket in and it says 10 Rand, change is possible. <laughs> Every time I go there, I'm like, that's the gospel. Change is possible. <laughs> this is possible. It's not a pipe dream. It's not an empty dream. It's not a vague vision. It is a reality that God, when God enters in, there's a change is possible. Because the spirit that rose Christ from the grave now dwells inside of me. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. When Aaron entered in, there was a line between the dead and the living which stopped. The plague stopped because he entered in. The kingdom of God is a reality. It's going to change. It's going to change. And then the last thing I just want us to, because my time is up. The last one. Aaron understood the cost. It was really a good space being in the temple of God. It's a happy place. This is where I want to be. He was doing the David thing. God, one day in your courts is better than a thousand among your people. <laughs> so no, that's not what he says. <laughs> one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, God. 
It's better than thousands elsewhere. It's good to be in the house of God. I desire, I long for it, God, like a deer out in the bush. I just long to be in your presence. Now, we know this. Moments like this is incredible. But God says, what I want is streams of justice. Do you feel my love? Do you know my love? Do you know that I'm with you? And we go in moments like this, yeah, <laughs> yes, God, we know. And then he says, now let streams of justice flow out. I want to see a river of righteous living flooding from this place, from Paul, into our communities. But it takes you, it takes, it, it's going to cost you something. It's, it was really uncomfortable, it was hard work, and it was really, it would have, could have cost him his life. And this is where Paul writes so beautifully in Romans 12, where he says, based on the mercies of God, Consider all the goodness of God, the mercies of God which is shown to you, the greatness of this gift of salvation. What is your reasonable act of service? To present yourself as a living sacrifice. To stand between the living and the dead. That is the most reasonable sacrifice. Because we are his chosen people. We are his kingdom of priests. It really, the counting the cost is the big thing. That's why many of us struggle to engage in these situations. It is better at my home. I have a tough life. I have a family. Da, 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 da. God really going to Urban, God really going to Delft is really that amazing. Lusani and Bishu, Pastor Lusani and Bishu is in the church here with some of the congregation members from Delft. Jochiela. So he's a, Lusani, forgive me for this, but he's, a, he's an exceptional politician in a big political party. He used to be, but he gave that up because of his call to Delft. He's an actuary. He's a good actuary. He's a black diamond actuary. Everyone wants him. He's headhunted. He works in Johannesburg at the moment. His company that he runs is in Johannesburg. But while he was pastoring the church, working as, a, as an actuary at a big firm, he just had this thing where God, I'm not really making a difference because I'm driving into Delft to pastor a church there. And as I'm with the people, I start loving the people. I'm starting getting concerned for this people. So the thing which he did is the same which we did for the urban church. God, I'm going to relocate and live between the living and the dead in a community where crime and violence and poverty is rife. I'm going to enter in. I'm going to live there between the living and the dead because I'm going to see the kingdom of God come. I'm a priest, and wherever I go, the presence of God goes. And that is what God is calling us. Rian, Victor did the same, moved to another place in Cape Town, same thing. We've got so many people and God is doing it among us. And these people are examples for us. And I want to encourage you today to consider the example of Aaron, to move between the living and the dead, to engage yourself. Where is the love? Well, the love is when you take a stand in the presence of God and you move between the living and the dead and you say, God, here the plague stops because here I am and because wherever I am, you are with me, God. Let your kingdom come here. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Let it flood this area. I'm going to plant my flag, God. I'm going to take my post. I'm not going to leave here until your kingdom comes here. And this is what the Lord is calling of us. And this is what we're seeing God doing it among us. I'm going to pray now. And as I pray, I would like you just to, to respond and to reflect Compassion, courage, confidence, cost. Father, we thank you, God, for examples, real examples, God, in your scripture, but also among us, God, where we can see the living and the dead moving. God, we can see, Lord, that, that you are placing us between the living and the dead, God, and because your kingdom is coming. We thank you for examples, God. Some names we mentioned now, but so many unnamed people, God. We can thank you that we can see the love flowing into the streets, streams of justice flowing and flooding from our midst, God. As your kingdom, Lord, and as your love fills our hearts, God, I thank you that streams of living water is gushing from us, God, into the community. And God, we pray in Jesus' name, do it more, God. Unleash in us and among us a flood of love, a flood of justice, God that the world may know you, God, that your kingdom may manifest and that people may turn to you and repent because of the goodness of the Lord that is demonstrated among us. But God, I pray for people, Lord, that have a burden in their hearts, God, or something they cry about at night, God, or pray about at night, God, or something which doesn't, just doesn't leave them, God. 
whether it's the children, God, or whether it's the widows, or whether it's the abused woman, God, doesn't matter what it is. I thank you for those burdens, God. And now, Lord, we recognize that your anointing is among us, is on us, God. And we pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you will give us the courage and the confidence, God, to count the cost and to stand between the living and the dead. I'm gonna ask you just to stand. And then I'd like you to respond. It's lunchtime, but just before we go and lunch, I wanna challenge you guys. I wanna ask you, what is the burden or the desire that you have in your heart? And there are a few people and you really know what it is that God has called from you. You know what it is that God is pointing you. You've heard Moses directing you in a direction and say, take this and run there. You know what that dead is. You know what that is. You know what it is. If you've heard the Lord, you know what that thing is. And for those people now, I wanna ask, as the worship team is not here, but I wanna ask you <laughs> to imagine a worship team behind me. I wanna ask you, <laughs> seriously, to come and to say, God, what is the reason why not stepped out of your presence that I love into the community there. Why is it, God? Is it because of a lack of confidence? Is it a lack of compassion, God? Or is it just the fact that I'm, I'm really afraid and I need to add to my faith courage? Maybe it's that. But I'd like you to respond now. And I just wanna ask, are there people like that? If you can just indicate with your hand that you know what God has called you to do, what are the streams of justice? Are there people like that there? If you just raise your hands, just keep them up for a moment. God is speaking to us. I want to tell you, God is speaking to us. For those people with your hands up, don't you want to come forward, please? And we're going to have a covenant meeting here with God. I want to ask you boldly just to walk forward. We're going to have a covenant meeting with God. We're just going to talk to God about this call between the living and the dead. And we're just going to talk to him. Because when God talks, let's stop and take note and let's talk to the Lord. Can those people please come forward? And while those people are coming forward... I'd like you just to take five minutes and turn to the person next to you and to pray about this word, the call to stand between the living and the dead, the streams of justice that God is calling from us. Can we do that, please? Just to remain standing and turn to one or two people with you. I want all the pastors, please come forward. We're going to minister for people here in front. But for the rest of us, let's take a moment and just talk to the Lord about this. Amen.